15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From our respective apartments, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano and Bobby Blanco here with you as we bring up the split screen. Bobby, again, running the board, talking on the the microphone. Going to be a rough show, but uh, we keep in uh, thank you guys for bearing with us. Yeah, I think you did great last year, last hey, week, Paul. You. You've been doing great on Mass and All Access both of these weeks so far. Thank um, you. You're thank only going to get better. Perfect practice makes perfect. Keep it up. Uh, this is far from a perfect practice, but we'll keep it going. Um, of course, thank you guys for joining us uh, on this Wednesday afternoon. We hope that uh, wherever you're tuning in, that you're safe, you're with your family, you're indoors, at home, um, and that uh, you're practicing social distancing Um, But we want to try to be a little bit of a baseball distraction for you. So thanks, as always. We got some stuff to talk about. We're going to end the show with an interview with Mike Elias that we shot back in Sarasota in February. Interesting conversation about scouting and his background in scouting. Um, And that will tie nicely into our conversation about the new changes potentially coming to the MLB draft. Um, Big changes coming overall as... Uh, MLB and the Players Association on what would have been opening day last Thursday agreed to a new deal. Biggest component, I think, first and foremost, is the fact that players are getting an advance payment, so $170 million uh, in money going to the players, most of which is going to the guys on the lower end of the pay scale, which is great, um, and those guys need it. And then um, the the other announcement coming yesterday morning that minor league players are going to get paid at least uh, th- at least through the end of May, four hundred dollars a week. So all of that is good stuff. But the way that I think it pertains the most to the Orioles is the potential changes to the MLB draft. Uh, Bobby, we had uh, uh, Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com on yesterday. Of course, he knows everything about the minor league system and about the draft. He had some interesting takes. Um, but first, I want to get your thoughts on the fact that the commissioner has the power in 2020 to shorten the draft to as few as five rounds. Um, and, of course, we know the NCAA is welcoming back players of spring sports, so including baseball, to go back for another year of eligibility. So that ties into this whole thing. It could, it's going to be a, a draft unlike anything we've ever seen. Even if it's not as few as five rounds, it's going to be a very, very strange draft whenever it happens and however it looks. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and and I, th- I believe they said that the latest they would want to push it back is late July, so that's like the whole month and a half from what it normally is in early June. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think it starts with the players. You know, let's first talk about the college players and the amateur players who are and high school players who aren't going to be able to play out their 2020 season. And I mean that goes both ways. I mean there are guys who you know entering this calendar year or entering this spring season, we're at the top of the draft board already and that teams already thought very highly of and they would want to look early on and draft those. Those guys are probably going to be end up being drafted anyways because they have probably the most tape. They were already highly regarded. They really had nothing to gain by playing this. You know, sometimes you take Adley Rushman, for example, he was probably already going in 
to his junior year as one of the highest prospects. He had a fantastic season. He was named college baseball's best player. So that shot him off the draft board maybe a little bit, but he was already going to be like a top three, five pick anyways. Um, so it, it doesn't, that sort of didn't really affect him. I really feel bad for the guys who could have used this season to bolster their resumes and, and maybe shoot up some draft boards for some teams by having strong springs and strong seasons. Maybe you see a guy like carry a team, you know, into the NCAA tournament for the first time and the college world series for the first time, or whatever, or just really break out on the scene at the high school level. So that's really going to affect those players. I think, um, coming into this draft season, first and foremost, it's about them. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see also, you know, which players decide, you know what, I really need this, you know, this junior or senior season for my future. So I'm going to stay and take the NCAA up on their offer to play again in 2021, as opposed to just declaring for the draft. And then the other guys who will say, you know what, I'm good. I like where I'm at. I like the video. I like the tape that I have, uh, the highlights that I have on tape. Um, and I, I'm comfortable entering the draft now. Uh, and I feel like I will be taken at a high spot and a good spot and, and can, can go on and move on into my professional career. So that's where I first think of when I when I think of the draft is, is these players that are losing a season and some it, it probably hurts most. But, you know, there are some that, you know, don't really feel might not feel affected by it because they already are thought highly of. Maybe they only had something to lose. You know, a bad season could have set them back or an injury, maybe. Um, and, and this also helps people who are injured, you know, guys who are injured, we're going to maybe miss their senior season now can, Hey, I can come back and play 2021 and, and have a strong season. Maybe, maybe be thought high, more highly of by some uh, professional teams. So it goes both ways, I think. And then you look at the teams, obviously for the Orioles standpoint, it, it's going to be hard because, you know, you think about the baseball draft, it's so different different from other professional sports drafts where it's so long. It's what 47 rounds, 40 plus rounds. Um, it's it's a time for teams like the Orioles to just stack up. Uh, like you think about the Orioles, the Tigers, the Royals, all these rebuilding teams, the Marlins, who just need an influx of of young talent, and that's where and the draft is like the main source of that. You know, you draft so many players in, in this sense. That's why accruing these draft picks is so important for these rebuilding teams. And of course, you know, you look at like I said, the Tigers, the Orioles, and the Royals, the top three picks. I don't know how much it. I mean, maybe some of those guys want to come back and, and, and play another year, but I would doubt it. I would think that those guys who are already projected to be top three, five, ten picks are going to go ahead and enter the draft. So, you know, you're not hurting that sense of losing out on the top talent of the draft, but you're losing out in the sense that you're not going to be able to get as many players as you normally would. Only five rounds. You know, you're looking at maybe five to seven players out of this whole draft. That's like a football draft. That's not going to be enough to really affect your farm system uh, moving on, moving forward uh, in, in the next couple of years. But then again, that happens to every single team. So it's not like the Orioles are getting the short end of the stick. Every team's going to have to go through this. So it's it's a fair uh, uh, playing field from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it won't affect, I agree with you, I don't think it affects guys like a Spencer Torkelson or an Asa Lacey. Those guys are going to be taken in the first round with the top five picks. It's not going to affect the Orioles' second overall pick it's the guys in the later rounds. We've seen guys right. in later rounds, obviously. There are a million stories of guys who are, you know, 10th, 12th, 18th, 20th round picks who end up having great careers in Major League Baseball. Um, those guys are just going to have to wait an extra year. Um, those, the, the type of guys that are just fringe-type prospects um, for those top five rounds. 
I mean, but let's be honest, you know, for most draft classes, the bulk of the, the players you're going to get are coming from those first five rounds, probably the first three rounds. I mean, those are nice stories, and they're great when they happen, those later-round picks. I mean, Trey Mancini was an eighth-round pick. That round might not exist in this draft, but he is more the exception than he is the rule. Most of the guys you see in Major League Baseball right now are former first, second, third-round picks for the most part, in addition to, obviously, uh, international free agent signings. So the, right. the thing, though, that, that bothered me about the, the whole thing is, one, the fact that the commissioner gets so much power to change this, um, yeah. and the fact that he gets power to change the 2021 draft and shorten that by, uh, to as many as 20 rounds, that didn't quite com- uh, compute for me because you think of if, if you know, we don't know what's going to happen in this country, in this world, in the next month, let alone the next year, but assuming we can get this figured out, they're playing baseball in 2021, which I would hope that that's the case, you're going to want even more be, uh, you know, rounds to the draft, I would think, because you're going to have now guys who, are se- who were seniors in 2020 who are going back for their second senior year, juniors who are going back for maybe their second junior year, um, and there's going to be an influx of talent all of a sudden in that, tw- yeah, exactly, in that 2021 draft. So that didn't quite sit well with me. And then the other thing was the fact that at this point last week, we were talking about the potential that there would be no MLB draft. And now the fact that we're having one and it could be as short and def- as few as five rounds, I think a lot of people are saying, well, at least there is one. To me, I think that they almost floated that out there to make a shortened draft seem this may be a little conspiracy theory but to see <laughs> make a shortened draft seem more palatable you know that, that they thought you know that uh if they say well there might not be a draft at all so that when they get one and it's radically different people are like well at least it's a we have a draft no there should have been a draft regardless you know that should have never even been floated out there that there wasn't going to be a draft because that would have a huge detrimental effect so yes it is good that there is going to be a draft rather than isn't um, but I think just as many rounds as possible um, would be ideal for players just because you give players more options. You give more guys more options of, you know, if it's only going to be five rounds, you're forcing all these kids to go back to school because they're either going back to school or they're signing a, a very small dollar amount contract as an undrafted free agent because they put a cap on that so as not to give teams uh, an edge over each other. But I don't know. I, I don't see it as a great thing, obviously, that it, and it, it's a necessary evil to some extent, but I just feel like it could have been handled a little bit better by the commissioner. Yeah, and, and to your point about like, there should be a draft, think back, it's kind of funny thinking back, well, to last month, I guess it's technically April now, but you know when this whole thing started, when the coronavirus started really spreading across the United States and we saw sports kind of shutting down, we first said, you know, this least affects baseball because baseball's regular season hasn't started yet. They just started spring training only a couple weeks into games. So, you know, into spring training games. So their regular season isn't really affected yet. Of course, at the time we didn't realize how long and withstanding this, this whole thing was going to be. But we thought, you know, at least we weren't in the middle of a season like basketball and hockey were and football was in its off season as well, far from its start of its its uh, season. So it was safe as well. Now we're getting to the point where it's starting to affect baseball more than the other school, uh, the other schools, the other uh, sports, because you look at hockey and basketball. Now they're pretty much just figuring out, OK, how are we going to implement a playoff system? They really just need to shorten their seasons to playoffs. 
And football, they're planning on uh, starting on time uh, in, in the fall or late summer. And as far as we know right now, you know, April 1st, that's could be the case. That, that could be possible. But baseball, this, this regular season should be have already started now, and we're not getting into that. So the further and further this goes along, the further it hurts baseball more than any other sport. And I would think if we get to a point which I personally – I'd hate to be a Debbie Downer. I personally believe we're not going to play baseball this year. That's just my gut feeling. I, f- I feel like just the way this whole thing is spread out. You know, Toronto has said no public events until after June. Uh, so I, I really don't see how the logistics are going to work out where they're going to be able to play games. I'm sorry. That's just that's a gut, my gut feeling. But if that were the case, you would think baseball would want to hold a draft. That's an event that they can hold. Look at the NFL. The NFL has the biggest draft of all the four major sports, and they're still going on as scheduled. They're just going to do it teleconferencing. You know, it's not going to be in person. They're going to be able to do it teleconferencing. Well, baseball's draft is already like that. You know, they rarely have players in studio. There's no big stage. There's no big crowd. The baseball draft is so big and long. There's no. There's no way to. Uh, have an NFL's type draft. So most of their draft is teleconferencing anyways. So you would think that if we get to that point where we're not playing games, a draft would be a very good event for MLB to host or MN minor league baseball to host um, and, and give the fans something to tune in, to watch, to care about. That's, you know, as close to real action, you know, quote unquote action than, than games are because their draft is already set up in a way where they can teleconference Skype calls in, you know, uh, uh, and have a very minimal crew in studio to host the whole thing moving forward. I, I think that's a very good idea. I don't, I don't see any reason why MLB shouldn't have a draft this season, whether it be five rounds or the full rounds. I, I understand that there's going to be complications with how the NCAA handles players and players who decide to enter the draft or not, that's going to be a little logistical uh, bump to a hurdle to cross, but I think they can still host some sort of event and that'll be something for the fans and teams to take part in, uh, uh, in the case that there are no baseball games being played this year. Yeah. And as you said, the guys at the top of the draft are not going to have really anything to gain by going back, you know, especially the top, right. the, the guys in that first round. So when you look at guys who are, could be drafted in that first round in the top few picks, to you know, if you had no draft, they would have to go back to school, and you're keeping them away for another year at least, you know, and and God forbid they get yeah. injured and they miss out um, on a huge draft bonus. Adley Rutschman got eight million dollars as a signing bonus as the number one overall pick. That's rare. That's the number one overall pick, but a lot of these guys are are have been waiting for this paycheck, this signing bonus. Um, that right. would come with a first-round pick. So at least they're doing a draft, but also I just think that could have been handled differently. But whatever. That, yeah, that's what we and, have. and back to your point, I mean, everything, it's a huge decision too because, you know, for every decision that they make, there's going to be a counter, you know, consequence. You yeah. know, like you said, if they reduce it to five rounds this year, yes, that's better than nothing, but then with the NCAA allowing student athletes to come back for their spring sports, that's going to cause a log jam next year. You know, players are going to return for their junior, senior year, whatever it may be that they lost in 2020 to 2021. And, you know, you're just you're just putting up a blockade pretty much of players who can enter the draft, get selected. And then you're coming with, you know, all the sophomores that are becoming juniors, freshmen, you know, all the, you know, young freshman athletes in in uh in high school becoming you know it happens in high school level too there's just going to be a huge log jam a huge pool of players that if they don't get drafted after waiting a year you know taking the extra year what's going to happen to them i mean their their seasons could be or their careers could be just 
totally thrown up in the air by all of this. So, you know, it's, it's a very important decision. I'm glad we don't have to make it, but there's a lot of logistics behind it. And every decision that they make in terms of not just major league baseball, minor league baseball, the regular season and the playoffs, world series, but, but also the draft, they're affecting thousands and thousands of young baseball players throughout the college and high school ranks who are trying to break through and they might be set back through all of this. Yeah. I can't imagine being a coach at any college program, uh, let alone a top college program where you have, you know, your best players potentially you thought were going to go to the draft are coming back. And, you know, I think a lot of seniors in general, even if they were going to have- be drafted, they're going to take that year because they love to play. They, they want to get an extra year under scholarship and now you have a whole incoming freshman class. I mean, it's going to be... Right, and top prospects, too. Yes, exactly. So I can't imagine that has got to be tough to just logistically find enough playing time. I mean, they, they might have to... I'm imagining they might have to do split squad type, you know, games. Yep. Maybe they do an yeah. A and a B team. Um, a varsity, varsity, a JV, something like Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's going to be a nightmare. But... I mean... I understand. Thank God they didn't do. I mean, can you imagine if they did this for basketball? Basketball has the sh- oh, smallest yeah. roster of any of the sports. <laughs> you know, if you're a senior and you get to get, come back, you, you know, especially with the way recruiting in basketball is, it yeah. would have been a cluster. Like it would have been so difficult to have yeah. incoming freshmen and then also seniors who are supposed to be leaving, or you know, take here locally, in Maryland, a Jalen Smith, a sophomore who's supposed to be leaving. Hey, you know what? I'm going to stay. Uh, yeah. and, and that's just a huge, I mean, it, it would have been a mess. Oh, yeah. And you can't blame the players for wanting to get an extra year. There's just, oh, of course yeah, not. Exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to some of the guys that are already in the Orioles system that have been drafted recently by the Orioles. We've been doing this series 20 and 20, 20 players to watch in 2020 and beyond emphasis on beyond. Uh, but we're going to hit on two former Orioles second round picks today. We've got Kyle Stowers and Caden Grenier. Uh, if you haven't seen those 20, 20 and 20s, you should check those out, obviously, on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, but let's start with Kyle Stowers. He's 22 years old. Uh, he's an outfielder, of course. Uh, he is a center fielder slash left fielder, played a little bit of right as well. But um, number 14 overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, Kyle Stowers, we've talked to. Bobby, you've been down in Aberdeen with us as we've talked to Kyle Stowers funny guy. He's a um, California kid with the California hair to boot. Uh, he came on our set in San Diego for the winter meetings. Um, but former Stanford kid, really smart, really knows the game. Um, and just, I've been very impressed with uh, with what we've seen and, and our conversations with Kyle Stowers. Yeah, I feel like I'm. I, I, when I think of Kyle Stowers, I think he's like your new best friend in the O's minor league system. I think you talked to him maybe five times I last season. I talked to him a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> so we're pretty uh, pretty tight with Kyle Stowers. No, I, this kid he he flashes so many great um, outfield type tools. He's very athletic, very fast with the bat. I know that a lot of people in the organization would like to see him. His contact when he makes contact, it's good. And, you know, his numbers might not show it like he doesn't have very high home run numbers, you know, but they like this kind of sabermetric numbers that are shown. He gets really good exit velocity off the bat, but it's just the they need a consistent uh, a consistent bat contact. You know, he's not hitting consistently contact. Obviously, he's only 22 uh, his first year uh, in um, for a full year in the minor league system. That'll come along. Some things to work on. Obviously, he's a left-handed hitter. He didn't do really well against left-handed pitching. 
That, of course, comes with every left-handed hitter ever. It's very difficult to hit left-handed pitching when you're a left-handed hitter. Um, so that's just a small area that he could probably continue. It's a really big drop-off between his splits um, as a right versus righty. And I let the, he only got five hits off left-handed pitchers last all of last season. So that's something that he could focus on, too. But like I said, I think the people in the Orioles organization really like his athleticism and his uh, contact. When he makes contact, he, he has really loud and, and fast contact on the ball at the plate. It's just making that a more consistent thing uh, when he's at bat. Yeah, and I think it's a, a thing uh, of launch angle as well because, you know, he, he there was, that exit velo was up, but he hit too many balls on the ground. Um, you know, his, his walk rate wasn't great and his strikeout rate wasn't terrible, but he just hit way too many balls on the ground. His BABIP, his uh, batting average of balls in play is 259. That should be way higher. Um, so to me, yeah. that says he's hitting too many balls on the ground as opposed to the air. He did fix that a little bit later on as the season went along. Um, he, he hit six homers in, uh, his minor league career, five of which came in the last month of the season. So, uh, 23 RBIs, the OPS, obviously not great, 667. But keep in mind, look, he's coming from Stanford all the way across the country. He played the, the spring with Stanford baseball. So he's got, you know, he's coming from col- the college game. He gets drafted in the second round. He comes over to the East Coast where he's never really played, been in, on the West Coast his entire life. And you look at the end of, he, he did have five homers in the last month of the season. Um, but he also hit 202 in the month of August in that last month of the season. So to me, that screams fatigue. Um, that screams he's just kind of, you know, tired at this point in the season, has not never played a season nearly that long, not used to playing games all through the summer and into August. So um, hopefully that changes um, as he gets his feet more wet. In terms of his defense, he played 22 games in left and just 11 in center and 20 games in right field. He was drafted really as a center fielder primarily, but I think that's that's one of those things where, you know, a guy might be a, a shortstop in college or a center fielder in college because they're the most athletic on their college team, but then they get to the major right. they get to the professional game and they're just more athletic or faster guys. So, I think he projects probably at this point and I think this is what the Orioles see as a corner outfielder um, who has the ability to play a little bit of center. He's fast, but he may not be the fast enough you know, he's got range, but he may not have uh, enough range to play uh, center at a higher level. So they're exposing him to the corner outfield at this point in his career. Yeah, he has the athleticism definitely to play center field. I think you're exactly right. He was probably the most athletic on that Cardinal team uh, with Stanford. That's probably why he played center field. But he probably projects more as a corner outfield spot. But you know what? Oh, yeah. Yes, right now he does. But let's remain to be seen. I mean, I, I see a lot of maybe like a kind of – Austin Hayes kind of player in this guy. I mean, maybe not that athleticism, but he has the potential to be really athletic outfielder. Stick him in the corners for a while, see if he just grows there. Maybe if he gets uh, gains some more speed, he can move back to center if needed. But he's at least versatile in that sense, where he's athletic enough to play all three at corner out, all three outfield spots, uh, and, and and well, you know, at a, at a above average level, uh, you can feel comfortable putting him out there. Um, but yeah, I think he at least definitely for now projects in a corner. Uh, but with the ability to play center on a need needed basis. All right. If 2020 were a regular season, we're going to assume that for all of these. I have his starting spot as Delmarva um, because I don't see him going back to Aberdeen at this point. Um, yeah. I think Delmarva would be a good spot. Obviously not strong numbers offensively at the plate hit just 216, but give him a full year at Delmarva. And then my ETA um, – 
obviously, when you're, you're talking about a guy that's this far from the big leagues, ETA is just an idea. You know, you, you talk about ETA more as guys get closer to the big leagues. So, uh, but I have him about as 2022 because he's, he obviously is a recent draft pick, but um, he's 22 years old. So he's a little bit on the older side, played three years of college ball. So Delmarva for my 2020 starting spot and 2022 is an ETA, Bobby. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I have this, I just have this connection with him that I feel like he's like just going to be a step behind Adley every step of the way because we saw him together in Aberdeen. Then, of course, Adley went over to Delmarva um, at the end of last season, and we project him to start at Frederick whenever this season starts. I, I, I agree. I see uh, Kyle staying, or sorry, starting at uh, Delmarva with uh, maybe a chance. There's no sense in sending him back to Aberdeen for a short season. Season, minor league season, get him the full league and Delmarva, and then maybe we'll see what happens if he maybe take a step to Frederick later in the season. And then, yeah, 2022 sounds about right for me. Probably the year after we see Adley or something like that. As long as he stays on this projection, again, he has some things to work on, like we said. But if you know, you if if you take it step by step, year by year, you know, he has the, he has the tools to to progress at that pace and be uh, major league ready in two two years at least at, at the at the most two years. All right, next up, another second-round pick by the Orioles a year before, and another teammate of Adley Rutschman, this time in college or with Oregon State. It's Caden Grenier. He's 23 years old. He's a shortstop, number 23 Orioles prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. So Caden Grenier was drafted as a glove-first player, and it was just a projection of seeing if his hit tools could come along. They saw a little bit of flashes in college. He hit 316 in his junior year with Oregon State. The dude's a leader. Um, He's confident. Uh, He's a wizard with the glove. And it's just a a matter of seeing if his hitting can come along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, like you said, he was drafted as a defensive, for his defensive prowess. I mean, he was the 2018 college baseball best shortstop uh, that season that uh, Oregon State ended up winning the College World Series and he was drafted. Um, he's got all the right defensive and like on base type tools. He's super fast on a 20 to 80 grading skill. He's a 60 in fielding arm and speed. Those are Adley type levels um, for those three things. Um, like you said, his bat isn't quite there yet. He strikes out a lot. Uh, we'd like to see him take a little couple more walks. You don't really know. He doesn't. I mean, you would think with his speed and lack of, I don't want to say lack of power, but like, you know, he doesn't have as much power as other guys. He would project as a top of the order type guy, but I don't, th- it's hard to see where he would fit in a lineup. I don't think we've seen him really cement himself uh, as a leadoff guy, number two guy, lower in the lineup kind of guy. He's kind of all over the place because his bat hasn't been consistent enough, but his defense is what would have the Orioles scouts really loving this kid. Um, and when we talked to him, uh, when he was with Del Marva, correct? Yes. Uh, last summer, mm-hmm. uh, he really he he emphasized. You know, I really pray he prides himself on his defensive ability and with the plays he's able to make uh, while at shortstop at a high leverage position like shortstop. So that's where his bread and butter is made um, on the bases when he gets on, and then of course in the field uh, with his glove. And he played twenty six games at second base last year, all with Del Marva. Um, he started with Delmarva, 82 games. He hit 253 there. He had seven homers. He got the call up to Frederick in July, played 24 games in Frederick, hit just 208 and one homer. The, you mentioned it, Bobby. The strikeouts are just too high, 138 in 106 games on the season. 
um, that could be an issue. I yeah. obviously his best his best position is shortstop, but look, it seems uh, you know we haven't gone and grinded the tape, but it seems to me like they trust him pretty much anywhere he's needed. Second base, shortstop. Um, you know, maybe he could get some exposure at third base, but. Look, he, he, he's never probably never going to be, you know, a, an all-star caliber player at the big leagues. I don't want to put a ceiling on him, but, you know, he, he's never maybe never going to be a silver slugger. But these kind of guys are valuable at a major league level. Guys that can um, come in and, and man a, a defensive position in a pinch wherever you need him, a, a utility guy. Um, so I, I see, you know, he, he has that defensive versatility and his offense is just okay enough, I think, that... Um, he might get a call up eventually at some point. Um, my starting spot, if 2020 were a regular season, would be Frederick. Uh, he only got those 26 games there last year, and I didn't see enough of him to to move him up. And then my ETA is 2021 because I think um, it. You know, Frederick is still obviously high A, but t- if 2020 were a regular season, you could see him potentially going from Frederick up to Bowie, and then it's just a, a you know a matter of mid you know if he finishes the year with Bowie start out 2021 in Bowie and then the sky's the limit so um I have him going to Frederick coming up in in 2021 yeah I mean it's crazy he think of all the tools we just mentioned he's got a great glove he's got a great speed on the bases um only thing that's really missing is his bat um and and I feel like he's just a real breakout season with at the plate away from shooting up. I mean, he's what MLB pilot has him at number 23 overall for yeah. the Orioles uh, in terms of prospects. He's, I feel like he's just one really good offensive season away from shooting up the ranks. Cause he is a highly touted kid. I mean, he's got all the other tools. He, especially a shortstop, you know, he's like, he's plays a position that the Orioles value. You know, we talked about how Michael eyes in terms of the draft earlier, Last year, they valued pitching and up-the-middle defense, catcher, shortstop, second, center field. Yeah. That's what they really wanted to value. So they, we know how much uh, Michael Elias likes to emphasize the shortstop position. So, And Caden uh, Grenier already plays a high-level shortstop. So if he gets the bat coming around, has a really good offensive season, yeah, I agree. He should probably start at Frederick. Like we said, uh, he ended up the season down there. He did have a 34. His strikeout rate actually increased when he got to Frederick. He uh, went up to like 34% of the time he was striking out. Still way too high. But if he's able to ha- produce offensively while keeping that glove there, keeping his defensive skills uh, at top level, you know, like you said, he, we can see a bump into Bowie later in whatever season we're in starting. Um, and then he's just a couple steps away from Baltimore. So, yeah, he's, I really feel like once the bat comes around, if he's able to produce offensively and, and also find his spot in the lineup, is he a leadoff guy, a second guy, maybe middle of the pack, lower, whatever it may be, wherever he's most productive, kind of cement himself there, find production at the plate. He could shoot up the prospect rankings and end up the Orioles' radar and and see himself in Baltimore sooner rather than later. All right, there are your two 20 and 20s for the week. Kyle Stowers and Caden Grenier next week. Got a couple great ones coming your way of different spots in the Orioles organization. Ryan Mountcastle and Grayson Rodriguez, two top five prospects in the Orioles system. That's going to be a fun uh, pod, 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 podcast to listen to as well. Um, Of course, you can catch the Mass and All Access podcast, Facebook, YouTube, as well as anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this. Please give a like, a rate, a subscribe, a comment down below. We'll take your comments, your reviews, 
all to heart um, and and very personally if they're insulting. Um, and uh, uh, we appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. And we were are going to, of course, real quick, at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. That's Bobby. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. We will leave you with Mike Elias back in Sarasota, Florida, talking about scouting. Interesting conversation. Here's the O's GM. We're sitting down here with Orioles GM Mike Elias here from Sarasota, Florida, spring training. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. You bet, Paul. Great to be here, as always, kick off the year. Everybody loves to talk about how this organization has started to use more analytics under your regime, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about scouting because you started as a scout. How did you get into scouting? I was playing baseball. I was a starting pitcher, so when you're not pitching, you watch a lot of baseball, and I always enjoyed watching the other players, sizing them up getting an eye on who was going to be drafted and where they'd go in the draft. So I was always interested in the draft and scouting. I realized I wasn't going to be able to play professionally. I wasn't good enough. And, um, you know, my college coach at the time, a guy named John Stuper, was a former major league pitcher, and he had some connections and um, ultimately got me in touch with uh, Dan Kantrovitz, who at the time was with the St. Louis Cardinals, and they hired me to be a young scout at the age of 23. So um, cut my teeth, uh, kind of learning on the job. A lot of talk in scouting is about the five tools that a player can have. The common baseball idea, however, over the past couple years is it's less important to have all five tools and more important maybe to have one or two great tools. Is that kind of your thinking as well? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you start getting into what we call uh, player profiles. And a guy can just have one or two tools, and if they're strong enough, they can carry him to being a great major league player, like for instance, somebody with no defensive value, uh, but who hits 320 with 30 home runs, like Edgar Martinez. Um, you know, it's a it's a Hall of Fame caliber career. But you talk about that profile now, he's he's going to be a DH or a, a first baseman. So uh, the tools really work into what and where you're going to be able to play on the baseball diamond. Not that it's necessary to have all five of them. How hard is it to determine? the difference between a guy who has a great tool and somebody who has, is just capable in a certain area. It's tough, and that's what the scouting business is. There are some tools where we are aided by technology, uh, even very simple technology like a stopwatch or a radar gun. We can know specifically if somebody is what we would call an 80 runner, an 80 being the top grade you can get on the, on the scouting scale. Um, same with the fastball. When it comes to a hit tool or a glove tool, that requires the, the, the scouts' impressions and opinions to get it right, and, and it's, it's no science. So that's where the fun comes in. Moving from the young players to some of the older players, a lot of times when a team is looking to make trades at the deadline, they'll send scouts to see a veteran player in a major league ballpark. Even though you might have plenty of tape on that guy that is available to everybody, is there something to sending a scout to see somebody in person, even though you might have seen him on videotape? Yeah, sure. I mean, we have every bit of video imaginable, that, that um, especially at the major league level. Um, we also have uh, tech um, that, that fans can get on the internet now with, with StatCast data. So we've got all that, but there is still value to be added uh, by sending an experienced evaluator to the park to watch the player. A lot of that is because uh, the the television broadcasts don't catch everything, especially on defense. Um, there's quite a bit happening pre-pitch, between pitches, and even after the ball is struck, it's not caught on the, uh, the broadcast camera. Um, but also a scout in a ballpark tends to get a lot of information, and he talks to people around the team um, and gets a sense of what's going on with the player. So uh, there's certainly value to be added there, even in today's game. 
how does one scout hire another scout? So, you know, when you took over as GM, obviously you have to hire not just a director of scouting, but that director of scouting has to hire a bunch of scouts in regional areas and such. Do you look for people who have the same evaluation tools? Do you look for different perspectives? What do you look for when hiring another scout under you? Sure, well, the, the first thing is the scout typically has had to have gotten um, his foot in the door in the baseball world, whether that is, you know, maybe he's just coming off the field having played a few years of minor league ball, or he's worked for a perfect game or a private scouting service, or he's had an internship or two with another major league team, all that helps because you gotta be around the amateur player market. You've got to kind of learn the language that scouts speak a little bit. Otherwise, the learning curve is gonna be a little too steep for that first full-time job. So once we see somebody who's got the resume, we then wanna make sure that they've got the mindset we're looking for, and that's um, wanting to learn, you know, having a good baseball eye, but being humble, being curious, all of those things, it's, it's uh, much like you would uh, interview for any job. When you have a player that you personally scout or that you have seen in person, you go to bat for that player, you say this player is the guy we want to draft, we want to evaluate, and then he goes on to have success. How much pride do you take personally in seeing success stories come from guys that you scouted? It's extraordinarily rewarding because it's so hard. Um, you know, you look at the draft and it's, it's filled with failure. Um, so when we do get a guy right, or even halfway right, it, it, it feels really good and it's um, you know, rewarding for all the work that you put in and a reminder that you know, you know what you're doing. Um, and over time, you're, um, you just hope that your body of work is a little bit better than, than average or better than the next guys, uh, even though this is a tough business. And because that batting average sometimes is below 500 just because of the difficulty of the business, do you ever look back on the misses, try to evaluate the things you might have missed or the things that you might have evaluated differently if you were to do it again? Oh yeah, they absolutely haunt you. Um, I mean, you, you think of uh, bad first round picks that you were part of, you think of bad second round picks, bad seventh round picks, and you never stop thinking about it. Um, at least I think the good scouts are that way because it helps them make them a little bit better process-wise the next time when they think about what they, what they could have done differently. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is not fun and it never leaves you. The role of a GM is of a much bigger scope, obviously, than a particular scout. How much scouting do you still get to do? How much tape do you still get to watch, particularly of young guys who are about to be drafted? Well, uh, when we're preparing for the draft, we watch video and review reports and read statistics on all of the players um, prior to the draft. So I, I, I'm intimately involved in that process. Um, in terms of in-person scouting, I still do a, a good bit of it. Um, I, part of that is because we train here in Florida, and Florida is like the best hotbed. In February and March, I'm able to get out and see some games that I might not otherwise get to. But right now, uh, with where we're at as an organization, we're picking high in the draft. And certainly for those picks, um, for the number two overall pick in 2020, I'm going to personally scout every one of them. The life of a scout can obviously be very difficult as well. You spend a lot of time away from your family on the road. Do you miss certain aspects of in-person scouting, or are you okay with not getting to do that kind of stuff? Yeah, the, uh, the, the chase of it and the, the sprint uh, that takes place from about February 1st to, to the draft in June is something that, that I miss being a part of every single day. Um, it's rough uh, on your, your sleep and your uh, family time um, for sure, uh, but uh, it, it is a lot of fun. Uh, you, you, you make a lot of friends and meet a lot of good people out on the road, but it, it's, uh, it's difficult. You're having to 
not only evaluate the players, but check the weather, uh, check flights and hotel rates constantly. Um, and it's, there's nothing like it. What's the biggest misconception you think that the general public and baseball fans have about the business of scouting? Well, I think it's that. Um, you know, I think some fans, they, when they see a scout at the games, they think, oh, this guy just watches baseball games for a living. Um, but that is, the, the, the part where you're sitting in the park watching the game or standing in the park watching the game is about 10% of your real work. And, and uh, 40 to 50% of it is just travel or working on travel or getting from point A to point B. It's a lot of driving, um, a lot of really difficult uh, types of travel. You're getting to really obscure parts of the United States where they don't have nice hotels and they don't have airports nearby. And um, there's so much that goes into that. And then you have to write reports and then you have to get on the phone with agents and then you have to talk to your connections. So there's so much that goes into it. There's really not enough hours in the day when we're talking about the baseball season. And of course, you probably don't have many hours in your day here in Sarasota, being the GM of 67 players in that clubhouse as well. So thanks for taking the time to sit down here on Mass and All Access. You bet, Paul. Thanks. Michael Elias, GM of the Baltimore Orioles.